we're in 1 first, first John. We're going to continue on in 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 2. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty exciting chapter. Over the course of studying for it and doing some search and stuff, it, it revealed a lot of things to me that I have struggled with in the past when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with people in the church and outside the church, and how um, I had the ability to overcome some of those things that we're going to talk about tonight. And it's about hating, bro- hating your brother. So that's in the last couple of, of verses. We'll go through that. But I want to first kind of give you an intro, kind of set the stage. So why is John writing this letter? And there are at least four reasons why John is writing the book that we can see in this text. And the first one is that he warned, he wanted us or to urge them to continue in the fellowship with God and other believers. It's very important that we continue in the fellowship with like-minded believers in Jesus Christ. It's even more important that we continue to have that personal relationship with God. He's the one that empowers us, fills us with his spirit to be able to walk through all the things that are going on in the world and even in the church today. He gives us the power. So he desires us, number two, he desired to warn them against the denial of Christ's humanity in this chapter. There was a heresy called, and I'll probably pronounce it wrong. Tom, what is it? Can't hear you. Docetism. There we go. I know I'd mess it up, so I have Tom give me a hand. But it's docetism, and it refers to the heresy in the early church, years of the church, that encouraged non-Christian philosophies of the time that said that the spirit was good, but the matter, including the flesh, was evil. In fact, they would say that Christ did not have a real or a natural body on earth. This is part of the teaching that was coming in at this particular time, along with Gnosticism. We've, Pastor Michael talked quite a bit about Gnosticism last week, and these are various groups with, they, they had this spiritual knowledge that that even was higher than the church or higher than the teachings of and traditions of the regular church or the, the authority of the church. They had this, they thought they had it all going on and they were bringing this in and, and it was just really, so the charge here was to warn them against the, the denial of Christ's humanity. They were even saying that he was a phantom. He, he was just a, like you might say, a, a figment of your imagination. And we know that not to be true. Amen, church? Amen. We know that he was God in human flesh and he came down to walk amongst us and then ultimately to die for us. He wished to exhort them not to sin and remind them that there was a provision if they did sin. Or when they do sin, I should say, right? He wanted to exhort them. It says that I write this letter. I write this to you that you may not sin. Not that you won't. 
is that you may not. And number four, he aimed to provide assurance of salvation for all believers. For all believers, for all those who called on the name of the Lord, for all that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a difference between those who call on the name and those who don't call on the name of the Lord. The fact of the matter is, not everyone is going to heaven. There will be those that will deny it right to their grave. I hope that's not you. I hope that you have that personal one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope that you turn to him in every, every corner of your life. Every obstacle that comes your way, I pray that you turn to him and seek his wisdom and knowledge and pray for his power to walk through anything that comes your way. Let's read our text. 1 John 2, 1 John 2, and we're going to read 1 through 11. So I'm going to read the whole thing, so just kind of bear with me. My little children, I am writing these things to you so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only, not ours only, but also those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That is important. And we're going to go a little bit sidetracked down a, a little bit of a rabbit trail when we come back to that. I think that is very, very important. Verse 7, beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The Old Testament, or the Old Commandment, is the word which you have heard, verse 8. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. So in verse 1, it says, My little children, I am writing these things so you may not sin. It does not say that you will not sin. It says that you may not sin. And if anyone says, sins, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. My little children in the Greek is technia, and it means my little born ones are my little born again ones. I love that. I love that I'm God's children. I'm a 69-year-old child. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. 
I love that. He calls me my little children because I'm a believer. I'm one of those. You are one of those if you accept it. You are his little children. How precious that is to be called the child of the Most High God. For those of you who have kids, you've got to know what it's like to your precious children, right? Your precious children. Alex has that little precious baby, Alex and EJ. And man, has she got a set of lungs, man. She is so cool. You can hear her all through the offices. And I'm not saying that to be, you know, bad or anything. It's just awesome to hear a child scream like that. Because they can go home for me, right? I don't have to take them home. <laughs> just kidding, Alex. <laughs> but the, God's, the, the idea here is that, the, that your child is so precious to you. And that's how God is with us. We are so precious to him. We are made in his likeness. We are made in his image. So he's writing to the believers. He's writing to you and I. I'm writing these things. Why? So that you may not sin. Not saying that you won't. On the contrary, he already knows that we're going to sin. In my mother's womb, I was conceived in sin. So he knows we're going to sin. But he's going to provide a way of escape through the atonement of his son. So who is he sending? His son. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall what? Shall what? Come on, church. Shall be saved. Or have eternal life. He's writing these things so we don't get distracted from the things that are going on around us. Gnosticism and all this stuff was going on in the church back then. Today we have other things going on. We got people backbiting and people just angry and hating each other, fighting in each other. The world is fighting against each other. Doctors are fighting just uh, this way. You got it in the church. We got people believing this and believing that. It's called internal fighting. Listen, if you got Jesus Christ in your heart, you cannot be fighting with each other inside the church. I jumped ahead of myself, but it's important. I think that this is key to what's going on. We have an advocate, and that an advocate is to speak right or stand up for something or someone. An advocate for a parent fighting for special education for her child. A lawyer who speaks up for abused children is an advocate. We have something a little bit different. We have an advocate and the father who sent his son to pay a price for something that we can never pay. I tell you, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Jesus advocates for us. He advocates us before the Father. Takes care of our sins, past, present, and future sins. Can you grasp that? Can you, can you even imagine that? All my sins in the past are forgotten. All my sins of the today and future sins that I will commit. 
are taken care of by my advocate, the one who speaks for me. Sometimes we have to have somebody speak for us. Sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes we say something that gets us deeper in debt, <laughs> deeper in trouble. Can't say doo doo, can you? But you get my point. This is real stuff, right, church? We need that advocate, our Father, who speaks up for us when we can't speak for ourselves. We need the advocate, the Father, who speaks up for those who can't speak for themselves, those who are struggling with different things. Any one of us can be struggling in any given moment. And we don't know how to vocalize it. We don't know how to speak it. We don't know how to say it. We have the Holy Spirit that brings it out and speaks for us. In verse 2, it says this. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also those of the whole world. Who's the whole world? The whole world is generally known as the whole, all the believers in Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the whole world, but he advocates for those who have that personal relationship with him. Personal relationship with the Creator is key. If you have that person, picture this with me, if you have that personal relationship with Him, you're keeping your eyes focused on Him, when all this other stuff starts coming your way, it's deflected, so to speak, by the Word of God. It deflects it, and we, go, we can get through it. We can get away from it. But when you don't have that, we fall into it. I think we can be sucked in pretty easy sometimes. I was just thinking, sometimes the people you hang with, you get sucked into different things. Different thoughts, different ideas, different patterns of doing things that could be right or could be wrong. In verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The test of knowing him, by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. What is this by? What is this by? Let's, let's read 4, 5, and 6. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought to himself Walk in the same manner as he walked. I see two camps here. There's the camp that says we know him and we keep his commandments, and there's the camp that doesn't. Question, which camp are you in? We have to examine ourselves and see where we're in, where we're at in all this stuff, right? Where are we at? Which camp do I fall into? Which camp do you fall into? You know him, 
and then you turn and you do exactly what you're not supposed to do, or do you do what you're supposed to do? Do you live like heck all week and come to church on Sunday and then go out and live like heck again for the rest of the week until next Sunday or Wednesday or whatever? I would say that you don't know him. I would say that you don't have an intimate personal relationship with him. It says that we should walk the way that he walks. What what does that look like? What, What does that look like? In verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. What does that mean? I can't walk like Jesus. I, I, I try. I try to be perfect. I, I try to do the right thing. Paul even said it. I, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I should do, I, you know, I, I, however that goes to abiding. But you get my point. (laughs) Forgive me, Lord. But but you get my point there, right? We we strive for perfection. And in in, in one sense, you know, we we have little glimpses of it. When our eyes are focused on Jesus, we're, we're doing the right thing. We're, we're walking the way we ought to walk. We're saying and doing the things. But there's these pin, I call them pinwheels of life. The distractions of life that just come along, man. They just come along. And you get distracted by those things. And the next thing you know, your mind is diverted. There's some of you sitting out there right now thinking about dinner. Are thinking about, you know, I should be home in bed. I got to get up early in the morning. Those are little distractions. You don't want to think that way, but you think that way because you just, you know, because let's face it, we're, we're not totally perfect yet. There will be a day, though. There will be a day. So back to this. What does it mean? Go to Ephesians with me for a second. Ephesians chapter 4. One through six says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk, here we go, walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called with humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance and love for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In all of the believers who have come to know him, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. My little children, you have been called to walk in a manner worthy. And it is a struggle, I'll be honest. Sometimes it is a struggle. But that's the calling, that's one of the callings on our life as a believer. 
When we take up our cross and follow him, it's not an easy path. He never said it would be easy. He just said it would be worth it. So you have to count the cost and pay the price. Move over to Ephesians 5 just for a minute. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as what? Beloved children and walk in love. How should we walk? We should walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Verse 3, but immortality and impurity, greed must not even be named among you as in proper saints, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk. There I go, convicted of what I just said a few minutes ago, right? No silly talk or coarse gesturing, or which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impert or covetous man who is an idolater has the inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. Walking in love. What does walking in love look like? Well, he's lined it out right here. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. What else? Walk in the light. Verses 6 through 14. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness. You were formerly darkness. Your BC days, before you accepted Christ, you were formerly darkness. But now you are in the light. As a believer, you are in the light of Christ. For your formerly, see. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10 trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Get it? Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Expose them. For it is a disgrace even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But not all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible in light For this reason it says, awake, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Church, it's time to awake. It's time to get with the program. It's time to walk as we ought to walk, not being distracted by the things around us. They were being distracted back then by different things. Although I got to tell you, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Same garbage going on back then is going on today in this world, and we cannot be distracted. We need to keep our focus on Christ, the cross, the finished work of the cross. Sometimes that's hard, church, right? Well, we might as well finish up Ephesians 4, because this is not walk in wisdom. Therefore, be careful how you walk, right? How you ought to walk. Be careful not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are what? Say it. Evil. 
evil. The days are evil. So, when, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with the heart to your Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and the subject to one another in the fear of Christ, in the reverence of Christ. So what does it mean to walk with Jesus? It means all these things that we've been talking about. All these things combined together is what we should be doing. And when I say we, I mean all of us. I mean myself. I mean all the pastors. I mean all the churches. I mean all the believers in Jesus Christ. It only takes a little bit of compromise to go down the wrong path. Only just have to give an inch. can't give Satan an inch because it makes, it makes him a ruler. Can't even give him an inch. I don't know. I don't know. This is tough stuff. This is tough stuff to take in because it requires, it requires a commitment. It requires accountability. It requires change. It requires us getting out of our comfort zone. But I'm used to talking a certain way. No, you've got to change that certain way. That's not glorifying to God. I have to change where I go, but I've been going there all my life. I have to change who I hang out with. Wait a minute, I've been hanging out. I grew up with them. Sometimes you've got to put those things aside. If you're going to be walking with Christ, there's a cost to pay. There's a sacrifice I mean, it's only a reasonable service. He sent his son to die on a cross to pay a price that we couldn't pay. I mean, it's only a reasonable service that we should do these things for him. In Matthew 22, 37 to 40, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Verse 7, back to 1 John. Verse 7, Beloved, I am writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. A new commandment for believers who accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Believers are to do the will of God. And the will of God is to love him. A believer is one who delights, delights in doing the will of God. Because the darkness is in the past and now we're walking in the light. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The past is gone. And behold, all things are new. We're walking in the light. We're not walking in the dark anymore. Verse 9 says, The one who says he is the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. It is impossible for you as a child of God to walk in the light and hate your brother. It is impossible 
It drives a wedge in your relationship with Christ. Christ takes it up a notch here when he talks about the old commandment and the new commandment. How does he take it up a notch? In the Old Testament, there were consequences. I was thinking about this this afternoon, the, the prodigal son. The reality of the prodigal son is that he was disrespecting his father and he could have been stoned. He could have taken him to the gate for disobedience and he'd been stoned. But even the father of the son showed grace and mercy and showed the love of God, how he showed that he loved him. How much more would our heavenly father forgive us? How much more does he love us? Would you sacrifice your son or daughter for me? Not in a heartbeat. Not in a, not in a country road minute. And if I had kids, I wouldn't do it for you either, to be honest. I'd like to say I would, but I don't think I would. But that's how much he loved us, that he would sacrifice his son for you and me. If it was just you, he would sacrifice him. But he sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. So if we're going to walk in the light, we cannot hate our brother. This doesn't mean that there are people that we don't get along with too well. I've got to be careful how I turn that, right? I tease my wife sometimes. I said, you got to love me, but you just don't got to like me. you got to love me, though. It's a commandment. You just don't have to like some of the things I do. And I think we have friends like that too, right? We have even family members. You know, we love them, but we don't like the things that they do. But it can't go to the point of hate. The world has turned that to mean that because we reject our hate sin, that we hate them. You get what I'm saying? Well, if you call somebody on something, well, you hate me because you're a Christian. You hate me. You hate me. I don't hate nobody. I hate what you've fallen into. I hate it that you have to have drugs every day. I hate it that you cheat on your wife. I hate it that you beat your wife. I hate it that you drink alcohol. I hate it that you live this lifestyle this way. I hate it that you have an alternative lifestyle. Doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means I hate the way you live. It's not pleasing to God. And if it's not pleasing to God, it should not be pleasing to you. The internal fighting that's going on. The internal fighting. It's crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? Let's go back to verses 10 and 11. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother 
here it is again, is in the darkness. And walks in the darkness. And does not know where he is going. That's tough. Does not know where he's going. I don't know about you, but I want to know where I'm going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And John said in, yeah, Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, that he follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We need to apply John's test to our own lives. Have you, have you really uh, trusted Christ? Have, is he really your light? Is he the one that is guiding you? I want to share a, I got, I'm running way over early here. I want to share a couple of things with you that might, that might help some of those, some of you who are struggling with hating your brother. These are a couple personal stories are true. Um, and one is as a non-believer and one is as a believer actually in the church. The first one is when I was young, I was abused. And I used to, I didn't, you know, I was young and I didn't really have like this personal relationship, but I used to pray that I'm, my abuser would die. Oh, Lord, please. Take him. Kill him. Kill him. There was such a hate. The hate was infectious. It affected every area of my life, even as a kid. And then one day I get a phone call. He's dead. <laughs> wow. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, I better be careful what I say. That's what I thought as a kid, right? And then later on in life, I'll come back to that in a second to wrap it all up. But a little bit later in life, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and some of you experienced some of this being by being hurt in other churches. I was hurt in a church. And I hated the pastor. I hated the pastor. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I hated the pastor. I was also a pastor. Struggling with that in your own life is tough. It's easy to say that you should do this and you should do that, but when it's in your own life and you come to realize that, it's like getting hit with a two-by-four upside your head. In the first section, I could not, in my younger years, I could not figure out why I was a little brat. I could not figure out why I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to do 
anything productive except for what John wanted to do. And I come to realize that this hate had manifested itself into something very dangerous. See, when you hate somebody, it breeds contentment, resentment. It's like, it's like a boil. It starts out as a little bump and then it gets bigger and bigger and festers and festers and, and it's got to come out somehow, some way. And so I couldn't figure out, you know, why I would turn to drugs and alcohol, why I would be, couldn't keep a relationship. It was because I hated, I used, my, I used to have a term, I hate people. That was before I was a believer. I used to say I hate people. Because people had always, seemed like always, used me to a point of, exhaustion. In the latter part, story, same scenario. Felt like I was used. Felt like I was betrayed. And so this resentment bred hate. I used to say, I hope that ministry goes under. Yeah. I used to say, I hope he goes to jail. I used to say, I hope he dies. And then it's verses like this that, that come to light, and you go, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Satan likes to use these things to destroy, seek, kill, and destroy. But the key is recognizing those things, right, that are coming out and dealing with them appropriately. I cannot walk in the light of God and hate my brother. Whether I want to call him my brother, whether I believe he's my brother or not, if he's a believer in Jesus Christ, then he's my brother. There is a recognition that goes on. There is a light that goes on. And it was simply this for the first scenario. They needed Jesus. They needed Jesus. If they were walking in Jesus, they wouldn't have done the things that they'd done. They would not have caused the things that they caused. Even as a believer, this other person in my older time had a fallout, a personal fallout, a separation. He needed Jesus. When you have somebody in the world that's behaving badly, they need Jesus. How do you, what do you expect them to do? How do you expect them to act like a believer in Jesus Christ if they don't know Jesus Christ? How can you hate them for that? 
Hate is a very strong word. So I say that, all that to say this. Is that if you're harboring hate, you're not walking in the light. It's time to give it up. It's time to understand that you are not responsible for other people's behavior. It's hard enough to be responsible for our own behavior. I will not take ownership of that prior behavior, either one of them. Because I'm a child of God. My, I am a child of God. I don't think I'm the only one that struggled with that. I think there's a reason why this message, I got this message for this time. I don't believe in accidents or coincidences. I believe that God has divinely put these things together for such a moment and such a time as this. I don't know if you're in the audience or you're watching online or you will watch it even later but it's time to be set free. It's time to be set free. It's time to get out of the darkness and walk in his marvelous light. His marvelous light. It was the same thing going on here in these days. People were straying away and they were falling prey to the antics of those that were coming in. I don't think it's any different today. Faces have changed. Names have changed. Time has changed. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. So we're going to land the plane here in just a minute. Pastor Shane, if you're around, it's a little bit early, but that's okay. I think I got, I hope I got my point across. I hope that you heard what I said through, I pray through the power of the Spirit. God has a plan. And if we are walking in the darkness, that plan is not going to be revealed. We have to take a stand, church. We have to walk together, hand in hand, we can't be divided. We cannot be divided. The church has fallen apart. Now is the time to take a stand. Things are going to get better. Things, I should say, things are going to get worse before they get better. But there's one thing that we have, an advocate. An advocate. I was just thinking, they can do whatever they want to me here on earth, but they're not going to take my, they're not going to take my heavenly home away from me. I do not, I do not see Shane. 
I'm only five minutes early. That's not too bad. So anyway, church, let's pray. Lord, I just want to come before you and just again thank you for this evening, Lord, this opportunity. I thank you again for those that are online, those who will watch it later, Lord. I pray that if any of them are, are struggling in these, any of these areas that we've talked about, Lord, maybe still walking, even read the razor's edge, one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light, Lord, that they would walk completely in the light, that they would make that decision, Lord, understanding they are children of the Most High God. Children of the Most High God. So I'll ask the questions again. Have you really trusted Christ? And is He your light? I pray they are. I pray for each and every one in this room, each one online. I pray, Lord, that you would just fill right now each one with your Holy Spirit. Lord, where there needs to be conviction, conviction, exhortation, exhortation, just love up on them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they would love their brother, love their neighbor, just as you love your church. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I pray that you have the light of life. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you afterwards. If you need prayer, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to spend a little time with you. If you have any questions, try to answer them for you. We love you here, Living Truth. We're, we're so blessed to have you. We're so blessed to have the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, in the Jesus' most precious name. Amen.